This talk is brought to you by iBiology.org, and this audio was taken from a video available on our website. I'll be honest, I'm lazy. And so are my cells. Actually, yours are too. Turns out, each of our cells have three billion base pairs of DNA. And they simply don't want to go through all of that. So instead, they place bookmarks to remind themselves which parts are or are not important. These bookmarks are chemical modifications to the DNA itself. I study one of those modifications known as DNA methylation. And I try to see its relevance in a type of tumor known as meningioma. My central research question is, can we use DNA methylation to understand meningioma biology? But before we can get into that, we have to understand what meningiomas are and what DNA methylation is. Meningiomas are the most common intracranial tumor. Intracranial simply means that they're inside of our skull. This is an MRI of a patient with a meningioma. At the top of the screen is the patient's eyes, and at the bottom of the screen is the back of the patient's head. Near the back of the patient's head, you can see a slightly different colored sphere. That's the meningioma. Meningiomas grow from the meninges, which is the layer of tissue in between our brains and our skulls. Currently, the only treatments available for meningioma are surgery and radiation. These treatments work well for many patients, but there are two major problems. First of all, these treatments have side effects. As you can imagine, getting brain surgery or exposing your brain to radiation are not trivial operations. Second of all, some meningiomas come back even after being treated with these risky techniques again and again. And at that point, there simply aren't any more options left. There aren't any medications to treat meningioma. And that's because we don't understand the biology of meningioma. We don't know what, what pathways or genes to target with medications. So that brings me back to my central research question. Can we use DNA methylation to understand meningioma biology? So what's DNA methylation, and why would we want to use that to understand meningiomas? Well, DNA makes up our genome, and our genome is like a very, very long book with three billion letters. But instead of the 26 letters of the alphabet, it has four letters, four base pairs. These are adenine, thymine, guanine, and cytosine. Sometimes cells add a methyl group to cytosines. This is a chemical modification to the base pair. This is what DNA methylation is. These methyl groups act as bookmarks to tell the cells which parts are or are not important. Now, if you or I read the same book, we might highlight different passages or place bookmarks on different pages. I might think pages one, three, and five are important, while you might think pages two, four, and six are important. Similarly, different cells place DNA methylation marks in different parts of the genome, depending on what they find important. For instance, your brain cells 
will have different patterns of DNA methylation compared to your heart cells. Similarly, different types of tumors also have different patterns of methylation. In fact, one study found that DNA methylation patterns are the best way to distinguish and understand the biology of central nervous system tumors, which include meningiomas. And we can actually get more granular than that. As you may recall, there are different kinds of meningiomas. Some are aggressive and come back even after being treated again and again. We can use DNA methylation patterns to understand the differences between different kinds of meningiomas. So how do we study DNA methylation? Well, tumors are made up of a bunch of cells. So the first step is to extract the DNA from those cells. Then we place the DNA on a special chip. What this chip does is look simultaneously at 850,000 cytosines across the genome. And it calculates for each of those locations the percentage of DNA that is or is not methylated. Then we can take that data and look for patterns in where those methylation marks are. In order to find patterns in the DNA methylation of meningiomas, we have to gather a lot of meningiomas and ideally from more than one place. We need a lot to make sure that the patterns we find are real. And we want to look at meningiomas from more than one location to make sure that the patterns we find are true for all meningiomas and aren't specific to a particular geographic area. So in order to study the DNA methylation of meningiomas, I gathered 565 meningiomas, 200 from UC San Francisco, and another 365 from our collaborators at Hong Kong University. And I started looking at their methylation patterns. This is what I found. Now, I know this is a huge mess, but let me walk you through it. This is what's known as a heat map. And the first thing you need to know is that red means that there's more methylation and blue means that there's less methylation. Each of these rows is a different cytosine, a different location in the genome that is or is not methylated. Each of these columns is a different tumor, a different meningioma. Now you're probably still having difficulty making sense of this heat map, and that's okay because we can't just look at these heat maps and figure out what the patterns are. We actually have to use computer algorithms to group the cytosines and tumors together to try and find patterns. So that's exactly what I did. I used a couple computer algorithms to look for patterns in this data. And this is what I found. That meningiomas are comprised of three subgroups, which I'm calling A, B, and C. And I found that this was true both in the meningiomas from UCSF as well as the ones from Hong Kong University. Now, just because an algorithm tells us that there are different groups of meningiomas doesn't necessarily mean that those groups are meaningful for patients or for the biology of meningioma. So to see if these groups were clinically relevant, I decided to look at their clinical outcomes. And to do that, I looked at something known as absence of recurrence, which we're going to see on the y-axis of this graph. That's basically the percentage of meningiomas that have not recurred 
or come back after being removed. On the x-axis, we have time, with time zero being when the meningioma was initially removed with surgery. Now, what you're going to see is that all the curves are going to slope downward. And that's because as time goes on, meningiomas are more and more likely to come back. But what we see is that these three subgroups of meningiomas slope downward at different rates. What that tells us is that these three subgroups have different outcomes. Some of them recur faster than others. Today in particular, I'm interested in subgroup C meningiomas, the ones in red. And that's because they slope down the fastest, meaning that those are the most aggressive tumors that come back even after being treated again and again. So what makes subgroup C meningiomas different? We found a couple different things. First, we looked at CNVs or copy number variations. Sometimes when tumor cells are growing and dividing, they make either too few or too many copies of their DNA. And certain pieces of the genome might have too many or too few copies as a result. We can actually quantify what percentage of the genome have these variations. And what I found is that subgroup C meningiomas had the most copy number variation compared to the other two subgroups. The other thing we found unique about subgroup C meningiomas was that they had an increased proliferation. Proliferation is the percentage of cells in a tumor that are actively dividing. The more cells that are dividing, the more quickly these tumors grow. Now, as a cancer biologist, when I see an increase in proliferation, I start thinking about the cell cycle. The cell cycle is a series of steps that cells take to grow from one cell into two cells. And then those two cells can take the same steps and become four cells, and so on and so forth. These steps are driven by proteins known as cyclin-dependent kinases, or CDKs. Each CDK and each step of the cell cycle is regulated tightly by other proteins that act as traffic signals that tell the CDKs when they can or cannot go to the following step. In normal cells, this entire process works seamlessly. However, in cancer, this process is often dysregulated and, cells and tumor cells can grow uncontrollably. In fact, in some instances, copy number variation, which if you remember is one of the things we saw in subgroup C meningiomas, has been linked to cell cycle dysregulation. In particular, a copy number loss of a particular piece of DNA known as CDKN2AB. The genes on this piece of DNA create two proteins known as P16-INC4A and P15-INC4B. These proteins act as stop signs for two CDK proteins known as CDK4 and CDK6. As a result, in some tumors, when this piece of DNA is lost because there are too few copies, the proteins aren't made anymore. As a result, the cells can grow and divide because there's nothing stopping the CDK4 and CDK6 proteins. Now, this has been seen in many other cancers, but is this relevant in meningioma? What we found is that meningiomas with loss of this piece of DNA 
had far worse clinical outcomes compared to meningiomas without loss. In addition, when we looked at meningiomas with loss of this piece of DNA, a majority of them were subgroup C meningiomas. This made us confident that loss of CDK N2AB is one of the ways in which subgroup C meningiomas grow and divide. However, this isn't the whole story. We also noticed that about a quarter of meningiomas that don't have loss of CDK N2AB are still subgroup C meningiomas. What this tells us is that subgroup C meningiomas must also have other ways to increase their proliferation, to grow and divide. So we wanted to see what else might be regulating CDK4 and CDK6. And in order to do that, we decided to look at something known as histone acetylation. Histones are proteins around which DNA is wrapped. Sometimes these histones have chemical modifications known as acetylation attached to them. DNA is the first step in an assembly line or a factory that makes proteins such as CDK4-6. And histone acetylation acts as kind of like a neon open sign that tells us that the DNA is open and ready to create protein. And so as a result, we want to look at acetylation across the genome. And in order to do this, we used a technique called histone acetylation chip sequencing. And in particular, when we zoomed in on CDK6 in particular, we found that the gene CDK6 had quite a bit of acetylation signal, as you can see in red. Of note, we saw a slight dip in the signal near the peak. And what that told us is that there was someone or something in front of the open sign, blocking it, making the signal a little bit less. However, based off of where exactly that dip is and the shadows cast by it, as represented by these gray boxes, we can actually figure out what it is. And what we found is that it's a protein called USF1. USF1 is a transcription factor. You can think of it kind of like a factory foreman that can turn genes on or off, therefore controlling the amount of protein made. USF1 of note is on chromosome 1Q, which is often gained in meningiomas, meaning that some meningiomas have more USF1 than normal. In fact, when we look at meningiomas with the gain of USF1, we see that a vast majority of them are subgroup C meningiomas. In addition, when we look at the clinical outcomes of patients with meningiomas with USF1 gain, we see that they have far worse clinical outcomes than patients with meningiomas without USF1 gain. Now, just because USF1 is at the CDK6 gene doesn't necessarily mean that it's turning CDK6 on or off. So in order to know that for sure, we decided to decrease and increase the amount of USF1 in meningioma cells. And this is what we found. When we decreased the amount of USF1, we saw a decrease in the expression of CDK6. When we increased the amount of USF1, we saw an increase in the amount of CDK6. This made us confident that USF1 was indeed controlling CDK6 and turning it on and off. So to recap, subgroup C meningiomas seem to grow and divide 
through the CDK4-6 proteins. And they do this in a couple different ways. They either get rid of stop signs, such as the P16 and P15 proteins, or they use USF1 to turn on CDK6 even more. Now, this is really interesting about the biology of meningioma, but what does this tell us about meningioma patients? Does this change anything for them? Well, it turns out there are some drugs known as CDK4-6 inhibitors that act as really big stop signs to stop CDK4 and CDK6 from going to the next step in the cell cycle. These drugs are actually already FDA approved to treat certain kinds of breast cancer, but they've never been used to treat meningioma. We wanted to see whether or not these drugs could block meningioma growth. In order to do that, we used a technique known as clonogenic growth assays. What we do is that we grow meningioma cells on a piece of plastic, and then we stain the cells purple, and we can see how many cells grew. We can also treat the cells with drug while they're growing. And ideally, we want to see something like this. Far fewer cells when, the, when they're treated with drug compared to when they're not. And we can actually quantify what the percentage of cells is in the drug treatment compared to when there isn't drug treatment. And that's what we're going to see on this graph on the y-axis, the percentage of cells compared to no drug treatment. And on the x-axis, we're going to see different doses of drug. And in particular, we actually used three different CDK4-6 inhibitor drugs. And what we found is that all of them seem to block the growth of meningiomas. I should note that these meningioma cells that we used have the same methylation patterns as subgroup C meningiomas. In addition, we also repeated this with two other types of meningioma cells that also have those methylation patterns, and the drugs worked in all of them. This made us feel confident that these drugs might be a viable strategy to treat meningioma. But simply growing cells on plastic isn't the most realistic way to study meningioma. As a result, our lab has developed a new methodology to look at meningioma called organoid co-culture. This system has two parts. First, on the inside of the dotted white circle in green, are normal brain cells known as astrocytes, and they form this large sphere known as an organoid. You can think of it kind of like a mini brain. On the outside of the dotted white circle in red, we have meningioma cells. Now watch what happens when we let these cells grow together in something known as 3D culture. As you can see, the meningiomas form smaller spheres on the outside of the organoid, and we call these tumor spheres. And this is actually very similar to how actual meningiomas form spheres on the outside of patients' brains. As a result, we think that this is a much more realistic way to study meningiomas because it mimics how actual meningiomas grow. So we decided to use this system and treat these meningioma cells with abemaciclib, one of the CDK4-6 inhibitor drugs. And this is what we found. What we see is that treating meningioma cells with abemaciclib decreases the number of meningioma cells on the outside of the organoid. A low dose of abemaciclib decreases it a little, while a high dose decreases it more. 
This made us feel even more confident that these drugs would be able to help patients because this is a much more realistic system. We're also using other systems to study this as well. We've injected mice with meningioma cells and are treating those mice with these drugs. And the initial results are very promising. However, we realize something while doing all of this. These drugs are already FDA approved. That means that we can actually start helping patients now. So we've started working with some of the physicians at UCSF to use these drugs on an experimental basis to treat patients for whom all other treatments have failed. And I just wanna walk through the treatment course of one of those patients to show what a difference this has made. On the y-axis here, we have meningioma volume or how large the tumor is. On the x-axis, we have time, with time zero being when the tumor was first diagnosed. What we see is that the patient initially received surgery, which removed a majority of the tumor, but not all of it. Then, like in the case of many aggressive meningiomas, the tumor started growing again. She received radiation, but it kept growing. She received a different experimental therapy, but that didn't help. She even received a second round of radiation, but the tumor continued to grow. It was at that point that she was started on abemaciclib. And what we see is that for the first time since her initial surgery, the tumor started shrinking. And perhaps more importantly, some of her symptoms started to improve. Now, this one patient doesn't prove that this drug is a cure. And there are still many questions that remain to be answered, such as which patients will benefit the most from these drugs? But this work sets the stage for future clinical trials to answer exactly those questions. As I finish this talk, I wanna remind you of this one thing. All of this work started by looking at patterns of DNA methylation. Without that, we wouldn't have found subgroup C meningiomas. And without studying subgroup C meningiomas, we wouldn't have identified CDK4-6 as a target. Only by understanding the biology of meningioma were we able to find a potential new treatment. Thank you. Visit us at iBiology.org for more free talks from the world's leading scientists. This talk was brought to you with support from the National Science Foundation, the National Institute of General Medical Sciences, the Lasker Foundation, and the Rita Allen Foundation.